Great leadership is about principles. From our work with hundreds of school leaders, it is clear that those who understand this are the ones who thrive. At Making Stuff Better, we create regenerative spaces. Whether these be through executive coaching, coach training, or our group programs, one principle is clear. The principle of belonging comes up time and time again. So with this in mind, here at Making Stuff Better, we are making 2023 the year of belonging. This show is a series of journeys we will take to explore what belonging means in an international school in the 21st century. What does it feel like? How do you create it? What matters most about it? And do we even need it at all in our schools? Join us as we discuss leadership stories from around the globe and uncover what belonging means today and why leaders may need it to thrive. By me, Matt Hall, and my friend and colleagues, Jill Kelly and Naomi Ward, powered by Making Stuff Better. Great, lovely. Well, welcome to this latest edition of the MSB podcast, Principles. And I'm by myself this week. Naomi and Jill are busy doing other exciting things, but I'm in really good company because I'm joined by Catherine McKinley, who is the founder of Green Shoots International School in Vietnam. And I'm really looking forward to having a conversation about the school that she's created and her thinking around belonging. So, so yeah, welcome, Catherine. Hi, thanks for having me and nice to talk to you. Let's let's start as as we always do. I I I'd just love you just to to give us an introduction of who you are and what you do and and what you're doing here. <laughs> okay, so I am born and bred rural Oxfordshire, but in my mid-teens ended up in Singapore thanks to my parents' work and went through my middle years and high school years at the United World College of Southeast Asia in Singapore, which was transformational for me as a student as a 13 to 18-year-old just being exposed to not only the internationalism of it, but the, the philosophy behind the EWC movement. And I went on to, to you know, become a young adult and take a degree and start working. And I forgot everything that I had clearly been taught at EWC and hadn't realized had gone in. And then I had my own kids and it all came flooding back. And I realized that I wanted very much to create for them what I'd been lucky enough to have myself in Singapore. And that was kind of the, the genesis of Green Shoots. My kids were born, by that time we lived in, in Vietnam. My kids were born in Hanoi and they went to a fantastic nursery school in Hanoi. And then they enrolled in a, a French program for primary school, which wasn't as, I guess, outward looking perhaps or inclusive as I would have wanted. And yes, Green Shoots was born from that. It was my desire to create for my own kids what I'd been lucky enough to have myself. And and I really want to hear about that process and and, and what you did create but I'm I'm curious to start with that when you you said it a couple of times now kind of what you had and your experience what what was that I think the 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 core sort of philosophy behind the UWC movement is is based on the philosophy of an educational philosopher called Kurt Hahn who you, I'm sure you're probably aware of but he was the founder of Gordonstone School which is where Prince Philip and the current king were educated it was the basis of what became the Duke of Edinburgh award and and the philosophy behind it is very much well the phrase that they use is, there is more to you than you think. And that's so all-encompassing. And it, it really does encourage you to push your boundaries and, and to, to realize that there is more to you than you think. And in every possible element of, of, of looking at that as, as a concept. And, you know, Kurt Hahn was born in 1866 and, and died in 1975. So we're going back a bit now when he mm. was particularly influential. And at that time, it was very much about boys' schools and it was about sort of physical 
pushing your limits and so on, but it's become so much bigger than that now. And it, it really is about helping children to understand what they're capable of and encouraging them to take on the world and, and, you know, contribute to it. And that was something that I gained from UWC, which I didn't at the time realize I was gaining. But it, as I say, it came back when my own kids were born and that's something just deep inside me knew that I wanted my kids to have the same and I wasn't finding it. So I tried to create it. Yeah. So tell us about that story. You're there, you're there in Vietnam with young children and not entirely over the moon with the provision you're finding. And before you know it, you're running a school, you've set up a school. Like what, what happened? <laughs> I set up the school. So we moved from Hanoi, which is the capital of Vietnam, to a, a small town in the centre called Hoi An, which is a beautiful UNESCO heritage site town. But it's a small town. It's a small expat community. It's a There wasn't, and there still isn't, a huge demand for English language education. But there was enough that there was a core group of people who were on board with my idea and said, no, let's see if we can do this. And we started as a homeschooling group and then grew from there to introducing primary and then secondary. My kids, in fact, were sort of ahead of the curve all the way and almost ended up being homeschooled most of the way because (laughs) by the time Green Shoots was officially a primary school, they were already secondary age and so on. But they were still very much part of the process and they still, you know, consider themselves graduates of of green shoots. So it is still a small school. It's still only a hundred students. We are growing, but COVID obviously put a halt on that for a little while because Vietnam closed its borders for two years. But it is a very a tight knit community of like minded people in, in central Vietnam, both expats and Vietnamese. You approach this with that philosophy on in mind or or as you said before, that philosophy emerged as, yeah, yeah. I'm interested in the intentionality behind the creation of that school. Yeah. Hmm. It, it was, it was very much, and, and, you know, this series is about that sense of belonging and it was very much about creating that sense of belonging because my, my kids, their dad is he was a refugee from the, from the, the war in Vietnam to France. So he was, you know, Vietnamese, but French nationality bilingual. So obviously I'm, I'm, British English. So they ended up with three languages and three cultures. My daughter on, on, on top of that, she realized, I guess, when she was 10 that she was transgender. So she's transposing three languages, three cultures, two genders, a, a real melting pot and very difficult to find a sense of belonging, particularly when we're far from both sets of families because their dad's family was in France at the time. My family was back here. So they didn't have those sort of base roots, I guess, that that a lot of us just take for granted and that I had in my early years here in Oxfordshire. So the intention was to create something that would give them that sense of community, that sense of belonging, but in such a different context and in a way that the standard definition of those things just wasn't available. So you had to create it in a different way. That's really interesting then. So let, yeah, let, let's explore that a bit, a little bit, the, the standard def- definition. So yeah, I'm curious because obviously it's often a starting point, isn't it? Before you before you build around belonging, you've got to be clear about what it is. So what what does that what does it mean to you? Well, I think what it means to me is probably not what it you know what the dictionary definition, if if indeed there is one. I was listening to some of your previous interviewees and and one a couple you know a couple of podcasts ago was talking about the potential damage that belonging can have if if it's tribal and if it's sort of if it is, if it's exclusive. And I think for me, that's a lot of the sort of traditional understanding of what belonging can be. If you're belonging to a local community or a, you know, a racial group or a linguistic group or anything that, that, that binds you together by a sense of sameness. 
can be exclusive and therefore does have an element of, of, of danger to it, if that's, if that's the right word for it. So what I wanted to create at Green Shoots based on what I had, you know, been exposed to at UWC was almost the flip side of that. And it was a sense of belonging in the, in the global sense and a sense that we, we belong to a community, yes, because we have similarities, but those similarities can be anything. They don't have to be what you traditionally assume to be a kind of an obvious similarity as to what you look like, how you speak and so on. It could be, again, for my daughter, for example, we're now back here in the UK so that she could access some of the support systems she needed as a, as a trans woman. And I thought when we got here that one of the obvious things she would do would be to leap into the trans community. And she hasn't done so because for her... Yes, they have being trans in common, but that's all they have in common. She grew up in a small town in rural, you know, central Vietnam, and they grew up in Oxford, and that's never the twain shall meet in that respect. So for her, she's a musician, she's a beautiful singer, and for her, she's developing her tribe, if you like, around music. So there are many different ways that we can connect, and they don't have to subscribe to any sort of certain set of, of preconditions or assumptions and I think what we try to do at Green Shoots and what I always try to do with my kids is to expose them to the idea that a sense of belonging can work in any way and you can build that the way that works for you and the way that supports you and the way that is generous and inclusive of others. Mm. I mean, that's, yeah, it makes complete sense and it's really interesting and I think a really timely reminder that I think there is a kind of peripheral view of belonging at times or a, or a thin veneer where we, we default to the easy stuff you know, sexuality, gender, race, ethnicity. And we, 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 we assume commonalities that maybe don't exist. And I think it's, yeah, I think that your, your point there is a really healthy one that we have to be really careful of those assumptions. Yeah. Within the curriculum, and this is a very sort of simplistic starting point, but a lot of international schools will use the global perspective curriculum, which Cambridge have it within their, their secondary curriculum. We believe they're bringing it down to primary now as well. The IB obviously has a was sort of the leader in this in terms of looking at the world from a global perspective. But the very course itself is about learning around the concept of sort of concentric circles of belonging. So you've got local, national and international, and those are geographical boundaries, obviously, but we're looking at how those intersect, how you can belong in all of those different arenas at the same time. Because belonging is a basic human need. We all have it. We can't, it's not something to be denied. You can't kind of you know, suggest to somebody, well, you you don't need a tribe. We all need a tribe. But I think the critical point is that that tribe can happen at any level and can and must be, not can be, must be inclusive rather than exclusive. And and that's yeah. where we tried to, you know, start looking at this from. So so let's explore that a bit more, if you don't mind. I, I can hear the what the why and the, some of the philosophy <laughs> yes. behind your, and certainly so, so clear on around intentionality. Yeah. Tell me a bit more about the how. So, so, and again, maybe, maybe you're there with a building. You're there with, I don't know, li- literally, I'm, I'm curious, there with a blank piece of paper. How, how did you begin to build the school and specifically build belonging into the school? The critical thing for us anyway, was to focus on values because those are things that we can share. Those are areas that we can create commonality, but they don't relate to any specific way of life or place of life or language of communication. So we are very strongly a values-led school and our core value is respect, which we use to unite all of the other values. So we have our other core values are sustainability, integrity, independence, thoughtfulness, tenacity, adaptability, and cooperation. So I realize that's a long list, 
and it's fairly diverse. But those are the things that we believe can bring people together and are focused on being inclusive. So, you know, how do you, how do you respect other people? How do you respect the world that we're in? How do you adapt in a way that is inclusive? How do you cooperate? You know, how do you overcome the difficulties collectively rather than exclusively? So values, I think, are a really important starting point. And those can be lived at all sorts of different levels through the school and everything from, you know, remembering to say thank you to the lunch lady who served you your, you know, your noodles right through to, oh, good, everything. I mean, the, the topic of conversation during assemblies, the murals that we have painted on the, on the walls, it just permeates everything. And, and that I think is a really solid foundation. And, and to what extent, I'm, I'm curious about the timelines in that, you know, I know often school leaders come to the topic of belonging, maybe not at the beginning of the journey. I mean, often people, you know, often as a school leader, your most common one is you've inherited the school and you may need to revisit the values and the vision periodically. Sort of back to front, I think. (laughs) Because you talk about school leaders. I'm not a school leader. I'm a mum. I'm not an educator by training. And as soon as it was possible for me to back away from the sort of the daily part of the leadership of the school, I did so because I'm not actually qualified to do so. So I think I came at it from the perspective of the values that I wanted to instill in initially my children, but then those who who joined us later at school. And I kind of built from there. So in a way, I was fairly fortunate because I I was given a blank slate or I created a blank slate in a way that most school leaders don't. So I haven't had to recreate, you know, reinvent the wheel if you like, because there was no wheel where I started. So it's a slightly different situation. But I think if you have the buy-in of your of your school leadership, whoever it is that ultimately is the decision maker, these things are very doable. If you don't, however, they're probably not. And that is the critical difference. You've got to have whoever is the, the senior decision maker on board with making these changes. But I think assuming that you have, they are very doable changes because there's an awful lot of resources out there. And you, if you've got, you know, you're hiring the right teachers who are values aligned, and that's a critical thing for us. We'll look at somebody's professional qualifications, of course, but we will, I want to say uh, it's a secondary consideration, but actually it's kind of a primary consideration is that we will hire based on someone's, someone's values alignment, because that's the only way that you can be sure that what's happening in the classroom and in the playground and in the ECAs and so on, is all in line with what you're trying to instill in these kids, this this sense of self and this sense of belonging to a community through the values. How do you do that? I'm just really interested in the mechanics of that. I'm not actually the one who does it on the ground, but what I do know that we have, it's, part, it's a large part of the interview process. So we have very specific questions that try to dig that out. You know, we'll give a sort of a set of scenarios and say, well, how would you act in in this situation or how would you respond to a child doing this or telling you this or you know to to try and tease out where people stand on certain issues and whether or not they are in line with where we're at obviously referencing as well is another thing we include in our reference questionnaires various various pointers as well that will inform us of how that person is as an educator rather than just how they are qualified as an educator which is a very different thing yeah, I get it. And again, it's, I, I guess what I'm hearing and what you're saying is, again, there's a real, um, there's nothing that's left to accident, you know, that, that you lead with the values and the, the competency comes second. 
Yeah, because there are an awful lot of very competent teachers out there. And we're lucky that, you know, we, we don't have a sort of a shortage of applicants who are competent. But yes, I think that is, that is the critical thing. It has to be intentional. And it's, sometimes it's difficult to do that because when, for myself, as I was so lucky to, to have this instilled in me without even thinking about it, you know, I didn't know what was happening at the time. I was just a kid. I was just, I was on the receiving end and I didn't stop and think about it. So a lot of the way that I personally live my values, I'm actually most of the time fairly unaware of because I haven't, you know, until I started school, I didn't actually have to sit back and think about it. It's just who I was and what I did. And people either, you know, did or didn't come on board with that. But I have become a lot more aware since I started the school and I've found that I've had to put into words things that perhaps previously I couldn't because I'd never had to, but I'd never had to stop and think about it. So it has become, my own journey has become a, a lot more intentional. And now we're in a position where our parents join us almost specifically because of our values. Because yes, we have a great program, but you know, there are other schools which also have great programs near us. So the families who choose us do so because of our values. So it's become sort of self-reinforcing. And now we have to because they pull us up on it if we don't. <laughs> we have to live by our values. We have to show that we are doing so in a sort of daily proactive way. And we have to be able to answer questions about how they're being lived. It is certainly, it, it has turned itself on its head that way. And that, that is now who we are by default. And, and we have to live that way. And it, and it guides everything else rather than it being kind of a, a top up. Yeah, I hear you. So I think what, one of the things that's really refreshing that you bring to this conversation, Catherine, is is, you know, kind of, as you said earlier, having your, your mum hat on first and foremost. And that, that's really, really interesting as a lens by which to view this. And, and so often we view schools as professionals through our professional lens. Obviously, you're still a mum and, you know, the kids are older and, and have graduated now. I'm wondering what, what sort of conversations you're having with them, if, if any, around this topic of belonging, whether it's still present as a theme in their lives and in the conversations you have with them? It is very much, yeah. I mean, they're, they're 19 and 21 now. And, you know, my daughter still lives with me. My son is about to return, which makes me very happy, but probably him very, very frustrated. But yes, we'll be all together again under the same roof fairly soon for a little while. And it does, it does absolutely come up in conversation. I think perhaps more with my daughter, possibly because of her trans identity and everything that that throws into the mix. And also because she's chattier, she's a girl. Um, <laughs> but with my son as well, he's been living in Amsterdam for the last couple of years and he has sort of, I guess, honed in a bit more on his European identity. He had longer in the French school in Hanoi. He's a more fluent French speaker than his sister. She associates more with her Vietnamese identity. So if you, if you're looking to, you know, find correlations in that traditional sense, then even two kids who are raised in the same household by the same parents have ended up in very different places. But we do. We do talk about it. It does come up because we are a very mixed family and, you know, they've moved around. They've, they've had to adapt and become parts of different worlds with different people. And I think one of the fundamental things when we do discuss it is having knowledge of self, knowing who you are, and particularly for international kids, for third culture kids, a lot of them don't have that sort of basis, which I had here in, in Oxfordshire to establish a foundational sense of self. They don't have a geographical home base. They may not have a single first language. They may have parents of different nationalities or cultures, and they don't know which one is the one they're supposed to refer to. So there's a lot of sort of open questions there. And I think 
when I discuss it with my kids, the conclusion we reach is that you don't need those things to know who you are. They don't define you. You define you. So you pick and choose from the bits of your experiences that make sense to you. And you use those to create who you are. And I can understand as someone who did have that solid foundation, it must be a very difficult process to go through. And I've not been through it myself. I haven't had to do it as a child. I had to do it as an adult coming back to the UK after so many years away, but I haven't had to do it as a child. So I can't speak from firsthand experience, but from theirs, it's very much the case that they are, and I can see them doing it in different ways, picking from their shared experiences and more recently their separate experiences to decide which bits are the foundations of who they are themselves. And they are creating like a jigsaw puzzle. They're creating their identity. And through that, they are creating their sense of belonging. And it's a shifting, there's shifting sands. It's moving. It's a moving target. And as they get older, they look to different people. They look to different professions and all of these different parts of what makes us a person, you know, are, are moving for them. But they are creating this sense of self from which they can create belonging. And just, I think one other thing, which is really important and again, helps to create that kind of solid foundation within yourself that you can then build upon to create whatever sense of belonging you choose is happiness. And that's something we really focus on in Green Shoots. And it's one of the things I'm proudest of is that our parents consistently tell us that their kids are happy when they come to school. And that for me, is such a critical foundation for everything else. Because if you are happy, if you're fulfilled, and I don't mean happy like, you know, you've got a birthday present. I mean, fulfilled. Fulfilled. A sense of purpose. And you can have a sense of purpose at any age. It may change, but, you know, it's, it's not to say a four-year-old can't have a sense of purpose any more than a 50-year-old can. Just a very different sense of purpose. But that brings with it, you know, that fulfillment, that joy, that sense of peace. Um, with those things, you become forgiving, you become empathetic, you become open to, you know, what is global, whether that's geographic, whether that's social, and therefore all doors open and you can walk through any of them and create connection and belonging whichever way you choose to walk. So I don't know if that makes sense, but as a mum, that's the conversations that I have with my very international, trilingual, tricultural children, and it seems to make sense to them. And, I, and I'm watching them do it, and it's really gratifying to see them grind themselves. I can hear that. And that's, there's a real permission given there, isn't there, around allowing them to choose the bits. The sense of self and, the, and therefore belonging to self as a work in progress and a kind of, you know, a small, you've got a smorgasbord of, of choice of, from where you draw those influences and the bits you choose to identify with. And it's a moving target for all of us. Yes, it's a real, yes. Yeah. You, you never stop. You never say, right, I'm finished now, I'm done. It doesn't work that way. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm 51 and I've still got a, a long way to go. I still, you know, I'm changing and morphing and my priorities are, are shifting and my preferences are shifting. And, but yet I, I do believe I have a strong sense of self. I know who I am, but how I live that may continue to change until the day I die. Thanks so much. Before we go, just uh, always... Like just to just to draw out kind of one one key learning or one one thought you'd like to leave us with, either as your experience as a mum or as the founder of Green Shoots, or you know, if you could leave us with one one thing to hold on to, you've given us loads, but I'm curious if there's one of those that would stand out in particular. I would say if we take it right back to where we started, which is what is a what is belonging in the international school context, I guess my takeaway would have to be that you need to let the kids lead on that it will be what they make it. 
because ultimately they're the ones who, if you're in your school, you're in that operational environment, you're, you know, you're up against timetables and deadlines and pressures and everything that happens in, in the daily life of a school. It's very difficult to step back and actually think this big picture stuff. But ultimately, your job is to form young human beings so that they can grow up to become older human beings. And your job is to form them in the way that will serve them best. And only they will know the answer to that. Even if they, even if they don't know the answer to that, they're the only ones who are going to work it out. So I guess just try to kind of hold on to that idea that our job is to support young people to become who they're going to be rather than to make them into something that we think they should be. What a lovely way to finish. Thanks That's so much. That's not very practical advice no, at all, is it? I'm afraid. No, it's great. Good. I want to just hang on to that. That's, that's a lovely way to finish. And, and before we go, just tell us, how, how can people find out more about Green Shoots if they wish to? Sure. Well, uh, you can go to the website, which is greenshoots.edu.vn. And we have a lovely Facebook page as well, which has all sorts of, you know, the, the website is kind of the relatively static information, but does give you a lot of it. And then you've got the Facebook page, which has lots of regular updates about what's going on in school. And we have an Instagram feed as well, which I, I think is not quite as active as the Facebook, but those are the main places you can find us. That's great. Thanks so much for your time, Catherine. Thank you. It's lovely to talk to you. Go well. Thank you for coming along with us on this principal journey. To learn more about making stuff better and how we can help you and leaders in your school, please do get in touch through hello at makingstuffbetter.com. Alternatively, you can find us in all the usual places like LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Links are in the show notes below. And don't forget to subscribe, and if you can, leave us a review. That's all for now. See you next time.